Amy, we've got a bunch of little nieces and nephews between us, but we've also got a catch-all gift that all of our siblings love for their newborns. You're totally right, and it's Pampers Swaddlers, because Pampers Swaddlers wick wetness away to keep babies drier and subsequently parents happier. Pampers Swaddlers absorb wetness better versus the leading value brand and provide up to 100% leak-proof skin protection and up to 0% skin irritation. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologist approved by the Skin Health Alliance. They're hypoallergenic and they're free of parabens and latex. Now you can try Swaddlers with new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes for healthy baby skin. These wipes won't tear. In fact, they grip mess, shall we say, more firmly and clean better, leaving baby skin dry, soft, and smooth. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Only redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers Cash has no cash value. Margaret, we've talked to a lot of guests on this show, and there are a few that we find ourselves returning to the advice that they gave us like over and over as we record more episodes. And today's episode is a best of for that reason. Like this is news you can use. News you can use. And let me say a phrase that pays if I can. I believe a (laughs) phrase that pays is an oldie loxler. Back in my day. I'm, yeah, what is it? What is the phrase that pays? New York radio back <laughs> in the, I'm, I don't even want to say which decade. I mean, it was probably the 90s, which is a long time ago. But you could always win money if you knew the phrase that pays. And so you would have to call in and be like, and they'd be like, Amy, what is the phrase that pays? And you'd be mm-hmm. like, WB 100.3 rocks with the best music ever. That was the phrase that pays. And so... Our guest today really delivers a phrase that pays with the phrase stable misery, Amy. Exactly. Exactly. Stable misery, which is Dr. Lynetta Willis's phrase. It, it just sums up like, you know what it is. You're probably living it. Like things are, things aren't bad. As you say, Amy, you're soaking in you're it. You're soaking in it. Like things, things aren't terrible. They're just kind of, you know, moderately overwhelming and not great. And is this all there is? And that feeling that you probably have in your life, which is extremely common, is something that you can name and do something about. And that's why I wanted to re-up this episode as a best of. It's so helpful. And also because I find myself constantly in our Facebook group, facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash what for shellcast, when people say like, I don't know, and my husband and we used to be this and now we're this and it's hard and this. I'm always like, you're in stable misery. Yeah. Listen to this episode. You're in stable misery. Yeah. Listen to this episode. And it really helps reframe, I think, especially as we continue to deal with this constant feeling of, you know, some people really have it bad, but I'm, you know, I should be happy. And a lot of we've talked about toxic positivity on the podcast and this feeling of like, well, People are really suffering. And so I guess the fact that I'm just kind of permabummed should not be something <laughs> that I talk about. Maybe Dr. Lynetta Willis wants to start a new, you know, phrase that pays permabummed. We're going to trademark permabummed. She's going to have to come get that from you. Permabummed. <laughs> but that that feeling should be suppressed or ignored because it's not as bad as people who are dealing with quote unquote real problems. And Mm -hmm. that is, this was like scales fell from my eyes, Paul falls from the horse kind of moment where I was just like, oh, right. 
stable misery is a problem that I should attack. And also, like our favorite guests, we have some solutions to it. It's not just like, hey, permabombed is actually called stable misery and it's a thing. There are ways to really make this better. And that's why I love this episode. We love this episode. It's one that we talk about again and again. Dr. Lynetta Willis talking about stable misery. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Fresh Take from What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. This is Margaret. And this is Amy. And today we're talking to Dr. Lynetta Willis. She's a psychologist and family empowerment coach who helps frustrated families stop the unhelpful patterns that keep them stuck so they can create more joy in their parenting or their partnerships. Her Triggered to Transformed Parent Coaching Program has helped parents all over the world. Welcome, Lynetta. Hi, so excited to be here. Frustrated families. We are them. We have listeners who are them. Here's what drew me in. And I said to Margaret, we have to book Dr. Willis on our show is that you talk about something called stable misery. I thought, I think I know what that is already. But let me find out. How do you define stable misery? Yes, yes. Stable misery is that space that we find ourselves when nothing's really wrong, like your house isn't burning down or anything like that. But you are just stuck in this space of unfulfillment and frustration and burnout, or you find yourself just repeating the same unhelpful patterns again and again. And this often shows up in our parenting or in our partnerships, where it feels like the same day every day, we're just repeating those same cycles and are unsure how to switch. And so it's stable, right? Because it's consistent, but it's miserable. (laughs) Right. I think it does feel familiar to so much of us as moms and that we do often find ourselves telling ourselves, but other people are really miserable. And you look at the news and you look at friends and you see people in really tough situations. We kind of tell ourselves this story that it's very indulgent to examine our own lives or feel any way about this stable misery because, hey, at least we're not dealing with divorce like our neighbor and we're not dealing with a COVID crisis like a friend we no. Right. We're not a healthcare worker coming off a double shift. Or we're not dealing with <laughs> the terrible things that are going on in Afghanistan. And we think, well, my little stable misery is, I guess, fine. And I shouldn't really complain about it. Yeah. That happens all the time. Like, I'm good. I'm good. Right. But the problem with living in that state is that it becomes perpetual and it becomes chronic. And then you find yourself years later wondering, you know, why haven't I done this? Or where's my life going? Or, you know, I'm not really enjoying my kids. There are a lot of consequences of not acknowledging when we're in that stable misery pit. And it's a tricky little bugger because there's nothing technically wrong. Right. But I have a lot of parents who will say, you know, I'm just not happy or this isn't what I imagined it to be. And this time that we have with our families, especially when the kids are home, Amy, you know this, like it's precious, like eventually they're gone. (laughs) They leave. Right. And so we want to live our Mm -hmm. lives with them as joyful as possible. Right. Because one day they'll leave and we want to create the type of home where they actually want to come back after they leave. They want to come home for vacations and holidays and things like, and you want them to come home, right? So all of that starts with first acknowledging when things just aren't feeling right and when things are off. 
I guess the first question is, right, how do we know we are in it? I think a lot of us maybe came from families where there was some stable misery inherent and that sometimes we get the message of like, sorry, this is just midlife. This is just life with kids. (laughs) So how do we know when we're in stable misery and there's something we could be changing versus like, well, it's a little more exciting to be 20 and out at the bars and, you know, meeting cute boys and girls versus... Just being married is kind of boring and having kids is kind of boring. <laughs> what do you think would happen? <laughs> you didn't read the fine print, <laughs> did you? Aha! <laughs> you just clicked yeah. right through that agree statement, didn't you? So we know we're in stable misery, especially as parents. We feel burned out, right? And it's not just a burned out feeling, but you can't recall the last time you had fun as a parent. Right? You're sitting there like, when's the last time I actually enjoyed being <laughs> a parent? Or you begin to anticipate difficult things before they happen because they seem to happen all the time mm. the same way. And you're just not sure how to get out of that cycle. You and your partner can't seem to get on the same parenting page and almost feels like you're parenting in alternate universe realities. Right? That can keep us stuck because it, you can't really move forward if you're not mm-hmm. playing on the same side of the net, as I like to call it. Another sign that you might be parenting in stable misery is when you're triggered, you find yourself overreacting. Even when you know in your heart that your kids are just being kids, hey, they're just doing that thing that they do. This sounds familiar to me. Yes. And they are maybe triggering you like this will really get mom going. And you know that they know that they're pushing your buttons. And yet you're like, okay, I'll give you the show anyway, because why do you disrespect me? <laughs> exactly. You want to go there, kid? Let's go there, right? This is the Bellagio, the fountains. Yes. Or you find yourself in that position where you're repeating the same patterns that were done to you that you swore you would never do with your kids and you're doing them. Feeling seen. That's a big one. My husband and I, we call this angry co-workers at the daycare where we're just like joylessly like you get the hot dogs on and I'll clean the dishes. And <laughs> there is this mode that can feel very... Absolute. And like, well, this is just what has befallen us. And it can also impact our marriages in that same way. I work with a lot of couples where, you know, it's like we were soulmates and now we're roommates, Mm -hmm. you know, and it's like it or you keep having that same fight again and again and again. And you just don't know how to break free. Like you said, like you find yourself falling into that cycle. You're like, mm-hmm. how do we keep getting here? Ugh! But I would think that the definition is sort of like, well, when we were single, we were going out to nice dinners, we were going dancing, but now we have kids. And so, oh, well, I guess we're stuck in this thing. But no. Yeah. No, you do not have to stay stuck in stable misery. That's the thing. You know, I was in a stable misery marriage for close to a decade with my husband and didn't even realize that we were there, right? Again, slippery little bugger, right? Mm -hmm. And one day we just woke up and we looked at each other and we're like, so if we stay like this, when the kids leave, are we going to want to stay like this? Yeah, probably not really. Right? Like, are we getting to that point where we're just going to be together with the kids and then at the end be like, well, that was fun. Uh, Should we hook up around Thanksgiving, Christmas or something? All right. You know, and we go off in our separate ways because we haven't really formed any type of significant joyful bond between us. And we realize like this isn't what we want to do. Right? So we actually actively took steps to figure out what feels broken and what do we need to do to try to fix it. Can we talk about that? What are the steps that you undergo? Is the first step going to your partner and saying, hey, I think we're a little stuck in 
stable misery? Do you give them a handout? Like, how do you start this conversation? Yes, 100% saying like, hey, this is really awesome, amazing brilliant podcast by these two women. (laughs) (laughs) That's always the first step, guys. It's first step of everything. Praise our podcast. Okay, now second step. (laughs) So like bringing it up and saying like, this is what, and it's always good to have the stable misery definition because what happens is if you go, I find that when one partner goes to the other and says, I feel like we're miserable, then it can often feel like a blame game. Right. Like get really defensive. Like, yeah, yeah. Oh, you're saying this is my fault, you know, and going back and forth. And let's be honest, often because you start that conversation by saying I'm miserable and it's your fault. I mean, exactly. (laughs) I've had that conversation of like, if you could just be a completely different person, we would be happier. But that doesn't turns out it doesn't work that well. Yes, it doesn't work well. It can feel very unsafe, you know, to say, like, I feel like our marriage is unhappy in these ways. That's a very loaded conversation to have, right? So you do come in with this sort of like a framework? Yes. Like this is what stable misery is and does it resonate with you? Yes, yes. Here are the things. Yeah. Does this make sense to you? Kind of makes sense to me. It's totally objective outside of us. A lot of people experience it, right? Yeah. So now that brings you on the same side of the net because now instead of being on opposite sides of this net trying to battle each other, now you're on the same side of the net and stable misery is on the other side of the net, Mm, right? And it's like, how do we, first of all, do we want to play this round? Right. Like, that's the first question. Like, are we just like, yes, we're here. Let's move on. Or are we like, yes, we're here. Let's do this. Let's do our best to get out of this. So getting on the same page within yourself or like, okay, am I in stable misery, whether it be in my parenting or my partnership too? Do I want to do something about it? (laughs) Because sometimes the answer is like, "Eh, I'm good. You know, this is just the way it is. I'm just going to grin and bear it until, you know, the kids leave or whatever. And then once you decide that you want to do something to get out of it, there's a framework that I created called the Empowered Path Framework. And it has five steps. And I always tell people, please don't try to do all five steps at once (laughs) (laughs) because it can get really (laughs) overwhelming. It's like New Year's (laughs) resolutions. You can't do them all. No, no. Pick one. But each of them, I find, are when we ignore one, even one of these, our relationships can feel disempowered, right? And the first one, you actually alluded to it, is it's Bell's Paths, P-A-T-H-S. And the first one stands for perspective. And a lot of what's in perspective is, one, getting a vision for what you want for the relationship, right? So the example I always use is if you're driving down the street and I'm flagging you down, Right. And you're like, hey, what's up? And I'm like, I'm lost. And you say, "Okay, where do you want to go? And I say, not here. How effective will you be at helping me get anywhere? You'd be like, walk two feet to the left. You're not here. Bye. (laughs) (laughs) So starting out with a co-created vision of like, where do I want this relationship to go? If your child's old enough, sitting down with your child and literally saying like, I think this could be better. In the ideal world, what would our relationship look like, right? And if your child won't engage you in that or is too young, sitting down yourself and really shifting your perspective because in stable misery, it's really easy to get stuck in where we don't want to be yes, and where we are. But having something to move towards is really important. The other piece, this is the piece you alluded to is that's in perspective is the story in my head. I always tell, especially when I'm working with couples, I always say I get them to a point where... I teach them to start every sentence that they say with their opinion with the story in my head is. Uh-huh. 
That's great. You know, always start with the story in my head is because it sounds very different when you say you don't care about me versus the story in my head is you don't care about me. Right. Because then it's like, I'm owning it. This is what's going on right now. It's not all the time forever. It's just in this moment. This is the story that's predominating my brain. And it allows for the possibility that you're not right. Exactly. Which is, I think, huge because you're saying, this is the story in my head. It's very true to me. Offer me some perspective about why that might not be 100%. We'll be right back with Dr. Lynetta Willis. Margaret, I've got a go-to baby shower gift that I give whenever there's another newborn in my life. Can you guess what it is? Amy, three guesses, first two don't count. It's Pampers Swaddlers. Exactly. Pampers Swaddlers keep baby skin dry, happy, and healthy. Pampers Swaddlers absorb wetness better than the leading value brand and provide up to 100% leak-proof skin protection and up to 0% skin irritation. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologist-approved by the Skin Health Alliance, hypoallergenic, and free of parabens and latex. Try Swaddlers with new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes for healthy baby skin. These wipes are five times stronger, gripping mess more firmly, shall we say? say, and making diaper changes a breeze. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Then redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Only redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers cash has no cash value. Amy, when I'm dehydrated, I get headaches. I get cranky and I don't feel good in general. Also, I am dehydrated a lot of the time. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Because being good with the water bottle is one thing, but getting that sodium and potassium with the fluids, turns out that is the key to seeing optimally hydrated. So whether you're looking to hydrate during your workout, while traveling, or at the end of a long night, Sports Research Hydrate Electrolytes have got you covered with over 65 trace minerals, seven essential vitamins, and coconut water powder. Crisp and refreshing without any sugar, this is hydration powered by Sports Research. Each box has 16 little stick packs that you can take on the go, whether you're headed to an exercise class, a night out with friends, or a podcasting conference. And did we mention they come in delicious flavors from raspberry lemonade to cherry pomegranate. Stay hydrated with Sports Research Hydrate Electrolytes. Visit sportsresearch.com and use the code WHATFRESH at checkout for 50% off your purchase of Hydrate. That's S-P-O-R-T-S-R-E-S-E-A-R-C-H dot com, sportsresearch.com, and use code WHATFRESH for 50% off your Hydrate Electrolytes order. Okay, so how do you start the sentence? The story in my head is. The story in my head is. So you're starting with that. And as you talk about where we're heading, so we're not just saying, I want to be anywhere but here. Maybe you and your husband don't see happiness the same way. So how do you get into some specificity with the perspective and where we're going to try to go? Yeah, great question. So a lot of times when I ask people that, what I get is I don't want to yell. I don't want to, you know, ABCXYZ. I want to stop being standing here where I am, which sucks. Exactly. So my question is, okay, if you weren't, and this is a good hack for doing this, because it's fine to start with what you don't want, because that's where you are. And that's what you can see. Like, I don't want to be next to this garage. I don't want to be next to right. (laughs) So what you do is you say, okay, if you weren't standing next to this garage, or if you weren't yelling, what would you be doing instead? Right. And so that's a good way to flip it. So I don't want to yell when my kid 
I don't know, throws a ball at my TV and breaks. Okay, maybe that's not a really good example. <laughs> that one might be too hard. I know, that one might be really too hard. That's justifiable misery. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, when my kid doesn't listen, right? I don't want to yell, okay, well, what would you be doing instead? What do you envision yourself doing instead of yelling in that moment? Oh, okay, well, what I would like to be able to do maybe is to walk over to them, get on their level, literally get down and say, hey, bud, I need you to go pick up your pants, right? And then maybe even hold their hand and walk them over to pick up their pants. Or if they're older, hey, bud, I need you to give me your plan for picking those pants up off the floor. What's the plan going to be, right? So you can create, and it doesn't even have, if you can't get that specific originally, that's okay too. It could just be as simple as, I don't want to yell when my kids don't listen. What I would love to do is just be able to breathe and remain calm in that moment and not overreact, right? And so now you have a bit of a plan, right? Which brings me to the A, which stands for awareness. So visions and all that is really great, but you need to have also an awareness of how to know when you're triggered, how to know when you're getting to the edge of that, right? And that really comes from being able to understand our emotions, our body sensations, and what exactly our reactions are. Like if you're anything like me growing up, emotions were dangerous, especially the difficult ones in my house. Like I had the whole stop crying before I give you something to cry about, right? So there were certain emotions that were just not nice. So I learned to bury them down, put them away, right? So then when I got older and especially got in the psychology field and somebody told me like, no, emotions are important. You really have to focus on these things. And I was like, oh, great. This is going to be fun. And so learning how to really use our emotions for what they really are, which is just signposts, right? So tapping in, like when I have this feeling, when I get this tension in my neck and this anxious feeling, that's a sign to me that I might be getting to a place I don't want to be. People ask us and have the question, when I wasn't parented the way I want to parent my kids, how do I break those cycles and how do I not fall into patterns? Because it's so natural for us to fall into patterns that we know. And this is, it seems like the key to that, this awareness of like, you have to actually find a fire line to really break what your instincts are. And it's not terrible that they're your instincts. It's what you know. We all have instincts that are what we know. But it seems like this awareness piece is really crucial to spend time on and say, like, there's a reason why my instinct is maybe to scream or even hit my kid at times. But this is a process to really break that up. 100%. In the um, Trigger to Transform Parent Coaching Program, the entire first module is on what's not working. Mm. It's literally the name of it, what's not working. <laughs> and we spend a lot of time focusing on feelings, body sensations, the stories in our head, breaking down the patterns and the cycles because awareness is really everything, right? There's a whole lesson on how to, we call it discover your rough road, map out your rough road. So what does that cycle look like when I get into that particular moment with my kid, right? In this case, kids, because it's a parenting program, but could work with partners too. But when I get into that moment, what exactly is happening? What is the dance that we're doing? Right. So if you don't understand that, what ends up happening is you end up fall cascading down. You don't realize it until you go boom. 
the bottom of the mountain, you know? So that awareness is so key. And then it seems to me the problem is, yeah, well, I yell, but it's because my kid made me yell. If my kid just didn't do the thing that makes me lose my mind, then I wouldn't lose my mind. So they need to stop doing that. That's a solution. Right? <laughs> yes, that would be a brilliant solution. <laughs> you figure out how to make anybody. If only everyone else would change, everything would be so much easier. <laughs> no! Oh! <laughs> Seriously, bam. <laughs> Unfortunately, that's how narcissists work in the world. Like, you know, it's not always the most helpful strategy. Like, you just need to change and everything will be perfect. Yeah. But that kind of moves to the next one, which is tools. That's what the T stands for. I say we're always using a tool in a relationship. Always. The question is never, am I using a tool? Is the tool I'm using helpful or unhelpful? Ah. Right? So yelling is a tool. Taking five deep breaths is a tool. They're all tools. Right? And the beautiful thing, when we start to think about our reaction as tools, then we realize like, oh, you know, all I've learned is how to wield a hammer. So everything is a nail. But I can choose to put tools, different tools in my box that I can learn how to use. And it really is a learning process, you know, because when we're triggered, I always say trigger is just an unhelpful habit. It's something we've just gotten in this cycle of doing over and over and over again, right? And I always tell people when they start to feel down on themselves, I always say, you're not broken, but you have a habit that needs to be. Mm, yeah, I love the metaphor of the toolbox is so useful. We talk often about taking it off of like, I'm a bad parent, I'm a faulty parent, I can't be a good parent because I don't have skills because I wasn't parented well. And this idea of I'm using the wrong tools, but there are or I'm using tools that aren't serving me even. But there are other tools available to me. It takes a lot of the pressure off of good, bad at this because changing tools is something that you understand how to do. For sure. And that's why I love using the phrase helpful and unhelpful, right? Because like you said, the good, bad is hard because then we're so used to that. We're so used to, I'm because good tool, bad tool naturally will translate into good mom, bad mom, good dad, bad right. dad, right? Like it'll naturally translate into that. But if it's like, okay, what I just did was not helpful. That's very different. There are times where I do raise my voice at my children. You do? My goodness, this is shocking news. <laughs> but I'm not yelling. I'm not out of control. It's very intentional. So in that moment, especially if they're starting to get like ah, crazy and their frontal lobes are gone. And it reminds me of uh, a good example I give is when I was in labor with my daughter there was one point where I was like, I'm do this. I'm not going to have any medication. And then I'm in there and I'm about to push. And I was like, what was I thinking? And so I got a little scared and freaked out a little bit. And um, I started screaming. And my midwife looks at me in a very stern voice was like, mm -hmm. screaming helps no one or something like that. She said to me and I was like, huh, okay. And then afterwards, my husband was like, I couldn't believe she talked to you like that. And I said, no, to me, it didn't sound mean. Like I need, my brain was so on a different planet at that moment. I was so not, I was, I was in fear mode. So I needed her. To, if she was like, it's okay, honey, blah, blah, blah. I wouldn't have heard her. Right. So when I raise my, I always say I raise, I don't yell. I raise my voice. So I might say, Hey, over here, look at me. Right. And it's like this raising of my voice so that I catch their attention. And now, oh, all eyes on mom, what's going on, right? So, but if I'm triggered, and I'm in this triggering moment, that tool, 
of raising my voice could be me being completely, I could be completely out of control. And now it's an unhelpful tool because now I'm all mad and they're mad and I'm guilty and, you know, all this other stuff. So it's very similar tools, but one is helpful. The other is unhelpful. Right. One, I have an active frontal lobe. The other, I don't know. It's just gone. And So we have P is for perspective and A is for awareness and T is for tools. Yes. And then H, this is really important, especially for those of us who want to raise our kids differently from how we were raised. Healing. Healing is so important in this process. You know, we get older, but a lot of those wounds are still there. A lot of those inner children that we locked in the basement are still there, you know. And when we find ourselves in those moments, especially when repeating old habits, it's because some of those kids have snuck up from the basement and they're wreaking a little bit of havoc on the main floor, right? And they need our attention. And what we tend to do is we tend to just shove them right back down in the basement. When in reality, we need to do maybe is sit with them and figure out what's going on. You know, what are you carrying? Right. And so even in the trigger to transform parenting program, we focus on this, on this very clear aspect of how do you get in touch with those parts of yourself that are overwhelming? And it's really not in the sense of it's not from a therapeutic standpoint, like we're going to heal all your trauma. I wouldn't necessarily do that in a parenting program. But just becoming aware and acknowledging that I have these parts within me that are carrying some stuff that needs some attention, right? And so healing and honoring those parts of us that struggle and that are carrying those messages and those habits and realizing it's just a part of us. It's not all of who we are. So when that part of me gets reared up, I call it the trigger traveler. When that trigger traveler pops up and starts yelling, <laughs> right? That's just one part of my caravan. It's not all of me, right? Which also feeds back into that no guilt situation, right? Like I'm a mom who yelled. I'm not a yelling mom, right? Like this is not the essence of who I am. Such a huge difference. All right, we have an S left. Hold on, everyone. You're going to find out that S after this. Margaret, I've been at the research again, looking into metabolic health, and more importantly, metabolic flexibility, which turns out is the key to improved energy levels, better sleep, better fitness, all the things. And I found out about all this because we got a chance to try Lumen, the first handheld device that helps you manage your metabolic health. Lumen works when you breathe into it. If you do that first thing in the morning or after a workout, Lumen measures your metabolism by measuring the amount of carbon dioxide in your breath. It's science, people. That lets you see exactly what's going on in your body in real time. Then you use Lumen's app to get tailored guidance to improve your sleep, your nutrition, even stress management. If you're interested in figuring out the effects of different sorts of foods on your body, Lumen is a really cool way to see what's actually happening as your body burns different different fuel sources. If you want to take the next step in improving your health, go to lumen.me and use Fresh to get $100 off your Lumen. That is L-U-M-E-N dot M-E, lumen.me, and use the code Fresh at checkout for $100 off. Thank you, Lumen, for sponsoring this episode. Amy, you know me well enough to know that my daily power breakfast is... Toast with peanut butter on top. Toast with peanut butter. It's also, by the way, one of my favorite power breakfasts. So we agree on that thing. We were recently together and we shared some toast with peanut butter. And I'm going to tell you, we used hero bread. It 
adds even more protein and fiber to that combo without adding any more sugar. Hero Bread has remade the carby, empty-calorie bread products into versions that include no net carbs, zero gram sugar, and fewer calories, plus more protein and fiber, while still being super fluffy and delicious. I was not sure that that particular combination was going to be possible, but Hero Bread has figured it out. Yeah, this is one I'm glad they let us try. It's like, it really tastes good. I've been trying to add more protein to my diet, and I would have thought that a hamburger rolls was not the place to do that, Amy. <laughs> but all of Hero Bread's products, from rolls to tortillas to croissants, we please, offer protein and fiber, zero to one grams of net carbs and zero grams of sugar. Start your Hero Bread bundle on their website and get 10% off your order. Go to hero.co and use the code MOTHERHOOD at checkout. I like this bread, people. It's H-E-R-O dot C-O and code MOTHERHOOD for 10% off your order of Hero Bread. We're back. We're talking to family empowerment coach, Dr. Lynetta Willis. She's taking us through the PATH relationship framework. P is for perspective, A is for awareness, T is for tools, H is for healing and S is for self-empowerment. You know, when we're in relationships, what can often lead us into those trigger cycles is our lack of, we don't feel like we have any power in the moment. And so we fall into these trigger pits as a way to get power, right? And the problem often is we pull for that power in ineffective ways. And we end up getting, trying to get power over instead of power with our child or our partner. And then that leads them to our partner or child to try to get power over instead of power with, right? So that's when we get into what is commonly referred to as a power struggle. We're both kind of like pulling for power in those moments. So really, when we get to self-empowerment, what that's realizing is no matter the situation, you always have power. You have power with you and, and in you. And it's really about instead of saying, I feel powerless or I'm powerless in this, you could feel, but I'm powerless in this situation, asking where is my power in this situation, which is a very different question. When I feel powerless, I would say I feel like I'm everyone's maid. I'm picking up after everyone all the time. No one respects the house. No one cares. I'm the only one doing it. Everyone walks in to be like, hey, it's cool today. I'm like, well, it's cool today. I don't care. Your dirty socks were on my kitchen table and that is disgusting. And so in a situation like that, I feel powerless and I'm finding my power by screaming at everyone to show how wronged I have been. Yes. But what's kind of the other side of that? So in that moment, where is my power in this moment? What can I do to help with this dirty sock issue? And one thing might be calling a family meeting and having a really clear discussion about, look, these socks on my counter ain't cutting it. You know? <laughs> or making a decision like, all right, I'm not going to put the dirty socks in the hamper. But whenever I find dirty socks on my cabinet, you will find them sitting on your bed. What choice do I want to make? Because empowerment is really about choices. Yeah. More than reactions. What choice do I want to make when those dirty socks are sitting on my kitchen counter, right? The other piece, another example could be, we're going to sit down, we're going to have a meeting and we're going to put out, we're going to make a chore chart, right? We're going to have routines because part of it might be my child doesn't have the skills to clean up the socks. They, they just genuinely aren't clear on what it means to clean. Like a lot of times we think that people know what it means to clean up. 
but that's not always true. <laughs> so literally teaching. So in that moment, it could be, if I see your dirty socks on the counter, whatever you're doing in that moment, I don't care if it's playing with a friend, playing with a kid, you need to stop and you need to take those dirty socks into your room. I will walk you and show you how to take them in your room if you need to, right? So in those different ways, when we're really talking about our power, the first piece is acknowledging I always have power in a moment. Even if I'm trapped in a sleeping bag in the middle of the woods filled with bed bugs, I can jump up and, you know, jump my way to a, I don't know, ranger station for help or something like that. You know, we have power in a situation. So it's coming in with the assumption that I have power to make a choice that is helpful. And then just looking for it. What's a choice I can make? Can we talk about how that might apply in a partnership? So I'm thinking same kind of situation, right? Like we're all stuck home more again. And, you know, okay, once again, I'm seem to be doing a lot more of the dishes than anybody else in this house, or I'm doing a lot more of the dinner planning. And you go to your partner with that, with maybe a little bit of inappropriate steam behind it about like, look, we have seemed to like, even if you don't do that, even if you bring it in a very calm way, here's a problem I'd like addressed. And your partner will understandably respond with like, okay, where's my power in this, right? How am I going to regain power? I'm feeling guilty. So instead, I'm going to say like, have you not noticed that I am actually really busy at work right now and stuff is going down? And, you know, you could be a little more supportive of what I have going on right now. How do you unpack the sort of dance of you think you were wronged? Really, it's me who's been wrong. What's the alternative for that in a partnership? So that's a great question. I actually have something I can send it to you all too. It's a partnership game plan guide that I created. And really what it goes back to is the net that I was talking about, right? So if your partner (laughs) is the problem, then your partner is on the other side of the net. And even if you come with the sweetest, kindest voice, if that is in our, we're really powerful, our brains and our ability, it's called neuroception, to pick up on people's nonverbals is really powerful. So even if you come in really sweet, mm-hmm. if somebody really is blaming you as the problem, they'll pick up on it, right? And a lot of times, especially if it's happened in the past, maybe you were genuinely thinking like, no, 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 really, I'm not saying you're the problem. But if, you know, the last 15 times, that's literally what you said, right? then it's going to be hard for them to believe that. So basically making sure that what you put on the other side of the net is the problem, not the person. So the fact that cooking dinner is on the other side of the net. And it's like, I'm wondering if we could come together and come up with a plan on how to make dinners easier, right? So in that moment, you're inviting your partner to come with you, right? Like dinners are really hard. And I know you don't have time. I don't have time. Can we come together and come up with a plan? So on how to make dinners easier. So now dinners are on the other side of the net. You all are playing doubles against dinner as opposed to fighting each other <laughs> and trying to hit each other with the balls, right? As they fly. <laughs> when you fight each other, dinner always wins. That's the problem. Exactly. <laughs> dinner wins every match. <laughs> and sometimes doesn't even have to get off the bench. Just watches you. Oh, it just watches you too. Like, look at these two losers. I love this. I can think of this tennis match analogy and I can picture it too. When you have a kid who's struggling or acting out, it can sometimes get Mm -hmm. you're hitting with the kid, right? And then the other parent, because it feels great to be the parent who goes on the other side of the net with the kid, like, oh, now, come on. Can you two just do this? Or even better, like, is, you know, the line judge sitting on the side, like, Mm -hmm. look, I think the both of you. Yes. (laughs) 
<laughs> instead of joining the other parent. It's an apt analogy for sure. Yes, yes, yes. And that's often what I encourage people to use it for, especially if you're parenting on different pages, right? You can use this game plan guide to figure out, okay, how do we get on the same page without killing each other? Because at the end of the day, while your perspectives might be different, right? One parent might be like, this kid just needs tough love, blah, blah, blah. And the other parent's like, no, they need hugs and kisses and and, you know, encouragement, right? You both can have those same perspectives. And the ultimate tools that you end up using, as long as you agree on those, the perspectives in that moment aren't really the biggest driving force. Because a lot of times what people, what couples end up doing is they end up fighting for their perspective, for their story. My story is the best story. Mm-hmm. Right. So the tough love story is the best story. No, the hugs and kisses story is the best story. When in reality, you both just want a self well-rounded kid that picks up the socks off the dog on kitchen counter. So, all right. Acknowledge these are your stories. And what are some ways, what are some agreements we can come to around how we're going to approach making that happen? You might each come up with five ideas and you might only agree on maybe one or two of the other person's ideas. Great. Experiment with those. Experiment is like my favorite word. Mm. Experiment and see what happens and go from there. And I think the metaphor of tennis, you can keep coming back to the thing of, I still feel like we're on different sides here. Like, let's get us against this problem. I have to recognize that sometimes I like to be the only person Mm. on my side of the net. I like to be really good at tennis and like fighting everything off alone and like, look at how great I do it. And that acknowledging that I am inviting my kid or my spouse over to my side versus showing them how good I am at fighting the problem (laughs) on my own and how good a tennis player I am. How right you are. Yeah, yeah. I think is an, a really interesting perspective that I'm taking away from this conversation. We're all better off us against the problem than like watch how good I am. And then I will secretly resent you for the rest of the night that I played tennis all day and you did nothing. <laughs> exactly. That is so good. It goes back to that secondary gain. Like when we find ourselves in stable misery or repeating those same cycles, asking is there a part of me that's getting something out of this? Spoiler alert, guys, there is. <laughs> what? What do you mean? My mom was a therapist and she always used to say, and I never understood it when I was younger, no one is in a situation where they're not getting what they need. What they need may be wrong, but you're doing it because you're getting something you need from it. And so my martyr routine of like, I am the unhappy maid who cleans the house for all of these ingrates, like... There's something that's feeding me about that or I wouldn't keep doing it. But I have to recognize and realize, and I think part of doing this podcast has helped me realize there is another happiness, a better happiness that comes from like, hey, team, let's all clean up together and then watch a movie together that is more satisfying than the smaller happiness that I get from I was right. I am the only person who does anything (laughs) all alone. Yes, yes. And sometimes that comes back from like, when you go through the healing piece, you know, realizing what is with that part of me that needs that? Sure. Right? That needs that sense of that little hit of, oh, look at me. I'm so 
ah, it's all me, right? Because we all have that. We all have those little things within us that we do it and we realize like, yeah, you get this tiny little hint. It's like a tiny little breadcrumb. But in reality, you're missing the whole buffet. Yes, yes. You know, it's like if you would just drop the breadcrumb, then there's a whole buffet you could all enjoy together. But you are fighting hard for this freaking breadcrumb. I fight hard for it. I fight hard for that crumb. But I'm trying not to. I'm going to walk the path. Yes. I'm going to do it. So tell us about your coaching and your courses and how our listeners can find you. Absolutely. Yes, yes, yes. So the easiest way to find me is through my website, drlwillis.com. So D-R-L is in Ladybug, willis.com. And I do one-on-one coaching with couples who are trying to get out of that stable misery pit, but can't figure out how. And I also do, I have a Triggered to Transform Parent Coaching Program. And it is a program that runs for a year and we go through all of the paths and, you know, one at a time. So at the very end of it, you really do feel like you are calmer and you have more confidence and you're passing on the best parts of yourself as opposed to those parts that drive you crazy. And so you can hop on my schedule and we can talk about both or either one of those. There's also... For those who may not be ready for that next step, I have a parenting trigger score quiz that I created that you can take this quiz and figure out what are my next best steps with regards to dealing with my triggers. There are three different styles that parents tend to fall into with regards to their triggers. So you can find out what your style is and how to break free from that. We'll put the link to the uh, trigger score in the show notes for this episode. Absolutely. Thank you so much. This was a fantastic conversation. I really, really enjoyed talking to you. Yes, this was great. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Dr. Willis. Margaret, it's an exciting news day. An exciting news day indeed, Amy. A few years ago, we launched our first spinoff podcast, Toddler Purgatory, hosted by the hilarious Blair Brooks and Molly Lloyd. And guess what? Now Blair and Molly are back with their all-new podcast, Unsticking It. You know Blair and Molly as two busy moms and actors, and somewhere between potty training and the pandemic, they both felt like they lost their creative kaboom. In their new podcast, Unsticking It, they are going to talk about how all of us can get back to what lights us up after motherhood. Amy, I need this. Me too. And Blair and Molly will be talking to fellow imaginative minds. We're talking actors, artists, and creators of all kinds about how we can all unstick ourselves from whatever muck we're stuck in. Follow, subscribe, and listen to Unsticking It wherever you get your podcasts. That's Unsticking It with Blair and Molly, because sometimes life stucks. No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids because now that those little ones are here, there is a lot to unpack. I'm Rachel Shepardota, and I am your host for the podcast, No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. I am the founder of Hey Sleepy Baby, but this podcast is so much more than sleep. We'll be diving into all the topics that you really care about and need to know while you do your best job raising those adorable, tidy humans. Our goal is to just make you feel less alone and less overwhelmed. There are so many things that no one tells us before becoming a parent, and I think that we should really pull back the curtain on becoming a first-time or second-time mom or dad 
to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us.